G'day and welcome to The Grass is Greener. My name is Tim Henry. I'm a financial advisor in Melbourne. And every week, my guests and I dissect your everyday challenges. We'll get you clearer on your goals and give you financial tips to make it happen. G'day, welcome. Another great show coming your way today. And we're going to be talking all about investment risk and the emotions and behaviours that uh, can also run alongside that investment risk. Now, before you say, oh, does this really apply to me? I haven't got investments. Well, maybe you do. Maybe you've got super and that is exposed to risky assets or assets that can be volatile. Maybe you saw that volatility last year and it's all come back up now, so we've all dodged that bullet. But what if it's not finished? What if there's another boom to come? What if there's another decline to come? It's about making a deliberate decision and aligning your plans uh, to the right investment risk that you should take to help you achieve what you want to achieve. So let's just uh, have a quick chat about the risk return trade-off. It's a pretty basic concept. The more risk I take, the bigger premium or return I should expect for having taken that risk. So some people become very nervous about taking risks. Some people are fairly confident with that. Some people could be overconfident. So a lot of what we do as financial advisors is is helping people understand the various risks that are attached to investing in certain things, but also aligning their own plan to those risks and helping them choose what's appropriate for them, their needs, their own goals, and especially their own personality. You know, what's your natural reaction to risk? So today we've got the amazing Sasha Burkhart from uh, a practice in Sydney. She's a financial advisor and her practice is called, you guessed it, Burkhart. And Sash is a great mate of mine. She's honestly one of Australia's best advisors. And I was so wrapped she came onto the show for a chat. So Sasha chatted to us today about what is investment risk and what are the critical factors that you should consider to get the right balance and mix that's right for you as an individual or a couple? And importantly, the emotional factors that go into that, some of the biases that to be aware of, um, but also chatting about the fact that emotions are natural and we've got to expect them. But if we've aligned them to a clear plan, you know, we can really... Um, manage that whole balance. So enjoy the chat with Sasha. I'm sure you'll get a lot out of it. If this is your first time tuning into The Grass is Greener, make sure you subscribe to the show on your platform of choice so you'll automatically receive each episode as soon as it's released. G'day. This morning I'm here with my Great mate, Sasha Burkhart from all the way from Sydney. Uh, your beautiful office in the, in CBD now, isn't it, Sash? How are you? I'm well, thanks, Tim. How are you? I'm great. Um, I'm really um, wrapped that you agreed to come on. Um, 
you know, I've mentioned that, um, you know, Sash, you're, you're one of the best advisors in the business, I reckon. And <laughs> I'm not just saying that. And, um, you know, I, what I was really wrapped that you wanted to come on and chat about is what we're going to talk about today, which is, you know, around investment and the importance of risk profiling for each client and um, how our own behaviours and emotions uh, play into um, our, our investment decisions. So um, before we get started, would you, I'd love you to, to tell the listeners a little bit about Sasha Burkhart and, and, your, and your business in Sydney and, and personally as well. Cool. Well, um, I run a financial advice practice in the CBD in Sydney. Um, we're very passionate about um, goals-based advice. We've been passionate about that since the day we started. And when we look at goals or holistic advice, we um, like to know absolutely everything about a person and what they're trying to achieve. Um, we're all about financial happiness and what that means to you rather than what you think it means to everyone. We're so busy in life comparing ourselves to what everyone else has and we don't actually know if we're personally on the right track um, because we're in this comparison game all yeah. the time. So we like kind of unpacking that to make sure you're on track to what you're trying to achieve financially because we all have different financial goals. Some goals might be to live overseas when you retire. Other people's goals might be to sell up and travel around Australia in a Winnebago. So very different goals um, and very different strategies. So it doesn't make one strategy right or wrong. Um, yeah. And I guess that's what we love doing, making sure that we're building plans for people that is actually for them and not for, the, for everybody else. Yeah, absolutely, because I think um, we can fall into that trap, can't we, of, of listening to the noise. What should I be doing? Oh, maybe I should be doing that. It's, you know, it's got, if it comes from within and there's a plan behind it, it's that's what it's all about. Yeah, 100%. And what about personally? Personally, um, I um, have a lovely husband and a daughter, Misha, who's um, going into her last year of primary school this year. Um, we are, captain. she is school captain and she's very excited <laughs> about that and she's taking awesome. the role very seriously and wants to know what job she's going to get straight away and I keep <laughs> telling her there's plenty of jobs at home but she's not interested in those unfortunately. Uh, um, she'll be running the school in a couple of weeks. Yeah that's right no doubt <laughs> um, but yeah we um very family orientated. Um, obviously, we were hit with COVID like a lot of other families um, in in Australia and the world. And um, my husband was or still is a pilot, just not a flying pilot at the moment. So we yeah. had to reconsider our financial goals and our um, time-based goals as well because obviously yeah. COVID has thrown a spanner in the works for not only many people but for our family personally. But you know, it's um. With, I like to see the silver lining. We have him home, and um, we're 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 renovating our house. We're making it exactly what we want it. So, um, yeah, awesome. I like to see the silver lining in everything. Beautiful. Well, why don't we kick it off with um, chatting about? I think well, a good place to chat uh, start. Sash would be when people come to see us, maybe for the first time. Um, you know, I think sometimes I might feel that clients are either in a rush to make money or 
either one of the couple or both might be petrified about investing because they're scared of losing money. So um, just can you talk about how we sort of approach this when when clients come in and, and the structure we use? Sure. I guess um, clients come in on a personal level to find out if they're on track, first and foremost, or yeah. thinking they need to make more money for retirement or thinking they need to pay off their debt or and they're kind of not sure where they end up at the moment. So yeah. um, I guess um, where we what we like to do is show them where they are if they don't use a financial advisor, how are they actually stacking up to meet their goals and objectives and what their life may look like because unless we've got that starting anchor point, we're not really giving them clarity of where they actually yeah. are starting from. And I guess when we look at clients, every client has a different um, aversion to risk um, every client um, is scared of something, whereas their partner might not be. And I guess in probably when you see clients together, sometimes they have exactly the same risk profile and you're like, well, let's look at that deeper. Do you actually want the same things? And it's absolutely okay that um, some of us have more tolerance to risk than others or some of yeah. us are more comfortable with a set and forget approach. So it's really just... Um, talking about their comfort levels, what makes them sleep at night. If they're going to be the panicked person that rings you at 6am when they see the headlines that markets have dropped by $20 billion overnight, you know, Um, because what we think and what we do generally sometimes are different things. Yeah. So um, it's interesting what you say there about uh, talking about it, because I think, in a lot of cases, when we do meet with people, it's it's actually getting that it might be something that they are aware of, that they have differing views or that they're not quite, they weren't aware of, but either way, it's now out on the table and, de- and we're dealing with a solution to that. Um, we touched on there that risk profile. Uh, could you just give us a bit of a, um, a layman's definition, I guess, about the risk profile but also just about that concept of risk and return and and how the risk profile plays into that and it's about investment we're talking about yeah 100 percent. and I I mean a lot of us don't consider or a lot of people don't consider their super as an investment but it is their money and it's something that they really should um, look at especially in, in in relating to their risk tolerance so when I look at risk tolerance and risk and return I look at risk and return as what percentage of risk are you prepared to make a certain return? And when when we say that out loud, well, what return do we need to make? There's so many more questions that come from that statement. So when I look at risk tolerance, I look at risk tolerance as, well, what am I willing to take? What risk? What are my feelings about that risk? Am I going to be able to sleep at night with the decisions I make? Then... I look at risk capacity. What is my actual capacity to take risk? And over one's lifetime, we all have a different risk capacity. As we're nearing retirement, we might have a lower risk capacity because we actually need the money to live on. But if I'm 40 and have got 20 years and I'm just looking at super money, then I might actually have a bigger risk capacity to take on a higher level of risk because I've got what's called time in market. So when we look at time in market, we, we don't need to get caught up in the short term up and down of a market 
because if we've got a long-term view, we've got the, the time to ride out that risk. But if we're looking at personal money where you're like, I've got this amount of money that I want to buy my family home within three years and I'm saving, well, saving at today's interest rate of barely nothing, it might take you a lot longer to get where you need to be. But when we look at risk capacity and we've got a said, say, a couple of hundred thousand, we might say, well, we've got a three-year risk capacity to take that money. But we don't want to put that money at too much risk because we don't want to not meet our goal of buying our new family home. So I think what you're saying there, Sash, is the goal itself and, and what's the time horizon to that goal it would have a, a big factor then on the amount of risk that you might be willing to take or that actually maybe is appropriate to take, yeah? Yeah, or that you actually can take. You know, you if, take, if you lost yeah. that 300000 then you might be in a position where your whole financial future is, um, yeah. is set back because of that decision. So it's not just the willingness to take risk because we all think we're willing to take a high level of risk. We all yeah. believe um, we, we want, everyone wants to make their 500,000 or 100,000, but not everyone wants to lose the 500 or the 100,000. Um, and there is the same type of risk associated with each of those goals, but it's all about time in market to actually reach those goals. So I've heard you talk about this before and and I know that you love doing this with your clients. Um, in fact, we've learned a little bit of this from you, is, is about the, this bucket approach where you might actually have buckets with different goals and different pots of money. Super is one. Um, so maybe so your savings are one. And maybe you're going to take a different type of risk uh, attitude to that risk in each of those buckets. Can you just talk us through that yeah, concept sure. a little bit? And this concept has really come about even more during the COVID months because a lot of us need um, access to short-term cash. Um, potentially we're sending money home to family members in other countries that may have lost their jobs or yeah. been in lockdown or not been able to work. So the bucket strategy that I like to use is, okay, well, let's get really clear on what the money is for. How much money do we need? So if we're looking at a retiree couple, we might say, okay, well, we need a minimum of $42,000 a year to meet your very basic housing costs, yeah. grocery needs. So yeah. yeah, absolutely. So what what investments are we going to use to be able to meet those needs? And do we need a short-term cash supply to be able to equal those pension payments. So you might have a bucket that says, okay, well, this bucket is a very conservative bucket that is going to meet my pension payments yeah. or those lifestyle needs for a period of two years. Then you might have a mid to medium term bucket that says, okay, well, we like to travel. We like to spend ten to $15,000 a year on travel. So you might have a higher growth strategy in that travel bucket. It is a non, It might be a non-negotiable, but it might be a negotiable type bucket. Yeah. Given the situation and not travelling, sometimes right. that bucket might accumulate a little bit more and you might be able to have a bigger trip next year. So we all think of money in different ways. And I guess um, my thought on that is we, we identify with the money we get back in our tax return 
very different to the money that we've been saving every week for our savings yeah. plan. So some people might go, oh, I don't want to touch my savings. That's my safety net. But then they go and get a three or $4,000 tax return and they're like, oh, awesome. I'm finally going to do this or I'm going to buy yeah. those set of knives. So it's how we, um, if we've got that money going to, for a certain cause, we're less likely to pull the pin or not follow the plan if we actually know well, this is the goal. We know it's going to be a little bit more volatile in its yeah. approach, but we know over the long term this is the likely outcome and we've got the safety net of that short-term bucket to fall back on because our basic needs are going to be met. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? So the more, um, the less uh, discretionary element, so you talked about the, the living needs. I mean, you have to live, you have to eat, you have to pay bills. So as you talked about before, the ability or the capacity to take risk there is low because that just has to be met. Absolutely. Whereas if it's travel, that's more discretionary. If it's other things that they might people might be wanting to do or other goals that are nice to have, mm -hmm. um, yeah, that gives them the ability to say, well, yeah, I can take a little bit more of a risk there. Yeah. And that's also um, including what you might need to do in the future. So if you've got ageing parents or ageing um, or kids that want to go to uni, you might have a different bucket. So if you've got young kids, you might have a, a bucket that you're investing money in for their education, their high school education. So you yeah. might not want to take a high level of risk because that money is needed for private schools or you might yeah. be more inclined to take a higher risk because of the current interest rates at the moment are quite low to be able to meet that goal of sending them to that public school, a uh, private school. Probably one of the most basic versions of this and that's probably for a younger client with a mortgage but talk us through how you might um, apply that to say if, if I came to see you and said look I've got this much surplus income each month should, should I be paying it off my mortgage or should I be investing it? Absolutely so where I what I love to do with clients is do a what if what if you put all that surplus money on your income? We cash flow that out and we show them, okay, well, if you pay this off your, your um, mortgage every single month, you're going to have your loan paid off by this date and you're going to save $122,000 worth of interest. Yeah. Then we go, okay, well, what if we invest that money? So what if we invested in an income-generating portfolio that can potentially assist paying off the mortgage or what if we do a, combat, a core satellite portfolio that has both growth and income um, areas? What may that look like in the next 10 years when the mortgage was said to be paid off? And then it's a pure numbers game. Okay, well, we're going to yeah. save this much or we're going to make this much and grow our wealth. Interest rates in Australia are at an all-time low, so it's really cheap to borrow money at the moment. But obviously, um, we want to make sure if we're doing an investment portfolio, we're outweighing the, the interest that you're going to be paying on your mortgage. Yeah, so yeah. it's very important if we're going to invest and just having it in a, a fixed interest that's only earning what you're currently paying in interest, is that really a viable strategy? It might be better sitting off yeah. um, the mortgage. So it's all about a what-if approach rather than a you-should-do-this approach because I feel clients need to know the numbers behind it rather than just being told yeah. what to do because when you know the numbers, you can actually make a quantifiable decision and buy into the plan. 
Well, I think that's the important thing, isn't it? It's not about saying, here's the right way to do it. It's about showing the options and in, in and as a team, you as the advisor and the client's own feelings and, and needs and wants coming up with the formula that, that suits them, isn't it? Absolutely. And then you can throw yeah. one more piece into the mix and say, well, what if you salary sacrifice a small amount into super you're going to save $120,000 if you do it all into your mortgage or you're going to boost your super bar in retirement by yeah. 350000 So you can really see the tangible effect. Well, am I going to secure my financial future or am I going to save this much interest over time? Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of that bucket approach that you're talking about because then you're introducing different buckets, some which are going to be of use to you later on, some that are giving you immediate impact, some that are growing for your future. And so you're getting this optimal sort of um, portfolio, if you like, um, that are all aligned to, to what you're trying to achieve. So it's, it's fantastic. Um, can we have a chat? Well, briefly, I just wouldn't mind chatting about uh, very briefly about how we actually do that risk assessment um, when clients come to see us and then we might go on after that just to chat about um, the behavioural aspects. Sure. So when clients come to see us, it's all about educate. I believe it's all about education first. So a lot of people um, don't view their super as an investment and when that, and you ask them the question when we're um, going through all their information, do you have um, any managed funds or a share portfolio? And most clients will say, no, I don't. But then when we get to the super section, they might have a quite a substantial balance yeah. in super and that's their investment portfolio. So and that is a managed fund. It is a managed fund. Um, <laughs> if we can get them to engage in their super, then they're more engaged in what their financial future might look like. Yeah. So once we get through that education process, we're talking about risk and return. So, um, And we talk about time in market. But we ask a bunch of questions that also uncover their risk tolerance. It doesn't really deep dive into the capacity to take risks because you need to correlate that with all the information that they've given you in the fact-finding process. Yeah. So a lot of the questions might be, well, if markets dropped in the short term, what are you likely to do? Are you likely to panic? Are you likely to um, yeah. be patient? Are you going to ring me every day? Are you going to look at it once a week? So it kind of uncovers some of your behaviours that you think you might um be subjected yeah, to if something happens yeah and yeah. sometimes the beauty and you just touched on mental behaviors sometimes we don't know a lot of our mental behaviors because they're deep in our subconscious so sometimes we don't know how we're going to act yeah. so this form whilst it's not a be all and end all because it's a it's basically like i tell my clients it's a conversation starter just because you come out as an aggressive investor doesn't mean my advice is going to be, okay, we're going to put yeah. it all on the share market and we're going to do this and we're going to have these great returns. It's all about making sure you as a client know how you're invested, what the likely risk and return is. If we look at risk and return on a one-year versus a 10-year or a five-year, it's a very different outcome. So we want to, we want to understand that if in one year, you're going to make 25% or lose 20%. What's your comfort? How are you going to feel about yeah. that? But if we hold it and next year it might be better, and I guess the GFC is a prime example from before that. In 2008, the Australian um, 
Aussie market lost 30, um, 38.9% in the GFC. Yep. So a lot of the people that went, oh, crap, I've just lost 38% of my Australian portfolio. I'm going to go put that all in cash, crystallize yep. those losses in that time frame. If we fast forward And that actually on, most of it bounced back by the, within a few months, didn't it? Absolutely. One year on, it was 37.6% in the green. So... Yep. Over that time frame, what was the real loss? And that doesn't even take into consideration the double-digit gains in the five years prior. So if we, fast, if we look back at 2008, the interest rates for cash was 7.6%. So a lot of people, when yeah. COVID hit, were going, oh, it's going to be like the GFC. But it's very, very different because interest rates now are at an all-time yeah. low. Yeah. So if you if you sold out of your portfolio and went to cash, you miss out on the making back the money that you potentially have lost. Yeah. And this is what I try to explain to clients. When markets go up and down on a portfolio, it's all it is as a paper loss at this stage, especially yeah. if it's in super. It's not a physical loss. In the next until you actually sell out or take the money, that's when it's a physical gain or a physical loss. Yeah, I think the the really important thing with this is, you know, I had the whole process of doing the risk profiling and the questionnaire and the discussion. It's about playing out the scenarios that Sasha you just talked about, you know, with what happens in a crash, rather than getting there and thinking, what do I do now? You're actually having these conversations in advance. So it's like, if there is a crash, I am going to stay on course with what I'm doing. Or if there was a crash, I would not be able to stay on course. So hence, I should not take that much risk. And I, uh, interestingly, we had, oh, I must have had a dozen clients, older clients last year who rang me maybe six weeks after the initial, um, in the in the weeks after the initial downturn, to say, look, I've just been too scared to look how bad it is, and and I, it was great to be able to say to them, I don't know if you remember, but when we did the the profile, you didn't want to take risk, and you actually only got about twenty percent of your whole all your money in the share market. You haven't really lost much at all, and it's like, oh yes, that's right, I forgot we did that. So they had actually done that strategic work before, and this is, I think, why it's so important to do it because rather than it be a reactionary thing, it's about being proactive and setting up for those natural uh, events that happen. Yeah, and the the really important thing, and why I think education is key, is because clients remember these conversations. And then when we're asking them the questions of how would you feel and panic and you've already spoken to them about the GFC and what's happened in markets over the last 20 years, when you say, well, what would you likely do? Instead of them yeah. saying panic, they go, well, clearly we'd be a fit, we would feel uncomfortable, but if you've got our back, we would probably call you and see what we should do. Yeah. And that's, that, that's, what, that's what they should do and that's what we're here for to make sure I mean, I'm sure you were the same in those kind of weeks after everything kind of crashed in March um, when all the borders closed. I was on the phone pretty much glued to my ear every single day talking to clients about their portfolio. And when we looked back and a few months later, most of it had come back up. 
Yeah, so, that's right. Yeah. So, and well, every single one of those clients held their game because they knew their plan. So I'm, I might just, um, Sash, talk briefly about these emotions because even though we're saying it's all cool, we've already done the work, don't worry, um, I think we're all human, so we're all going to feel that worry. I mean, it's great if we've done the strategic work and we've got some really solid foundations to fall back on, but particularly the media as well, you know, they hype things up and you mentioned about them saying that 20 billion oh the market just dropped by 20 billion they deliberately do that so it sounds like a big number because to, you know that might be a fifteenth of a, a percent um of the market and, and they make it sound big because actually you know it only went down by one percent or something and that doesn't sound very scary so they don't want to say that um so I'd love you just to talk through, and I know you've done a lot of um, recent study around investor behaviour and the emotions. Just talk us through those natural feelings and sort of how that plays out. Yeah, I guess we all think we're rational beings, right? And this is why I love doing the behavioural finance. We all think we're completely rational and sometimes we do make irrational decisions and we have irrational behavior. Um, sometimes we react, we react to certain comments and we're like, where did that reaction come from? So some of these deep seated beliefs come from something that we might, might have been brought up with as kids. Um, we might have seen something, certain brands in the past that we assimilate with and, and, and know. So we therefore believe it's safe. So we've got all these, um, biases stuck in our subconscious somewhere that we um, make decisions on and sometimes we make decisions very quickly so as a, our brains have millions of thoughts every single day so we have to do these quick decision making processes otherwise we'd be also caught up in our head so sometimes we use those internal biases to make decisions yeah. very very quickly um, so I'll, I've got a couple that I'll, I'll briefly touch on because these are yeah, the ones that are predominantly used in the financial world. But some of us are overconfident in our beliefs. So some of us believe that we have more knowledge on a certain topic than we have. So we might have said, well, my mum and dad had CBA shares their whole entire life and, you know, or good quality BHP yeah. stocks and this is what I know, so this is what I'm going to go in. Some of us might be working for a big organisation like Facebook, Google or Twitter and they've got vesting schedules with them and they know it. So then they're overweight in those areas and want to buy yeah. more because they believe they know the business, they know the culture, they know where it's going, but actually do they know the bottom line? Then we've got people who uh, we, we call it risk aversion. So they're people preferring outcomes with low uncertainty to those outcomes of high uncertainty. So they would yeah. rather go with something that they know is likely to happen rather than this uncertain behaviour. So they might miss out on certain events because of this um, risk aversion. Um, yeah. Mental accounting, I think I touched on this before, where people put money into different categories, right? So people put their tax return money into a different category to their um, savings account. So some people might say, well, I've got a, a bucket of money which I have a more aggressive tolerance to because I'm happy 
to kind of risk that money, but some people don't even put that in. So they're automatically bucketing their money into certain importance. But at the end of the day, money is money. Money all has the same value, no matter what bucket it's in. And then- Yeah, plus when they've done the buckets like you mentioned, um, it's all just money that can go into those other life goal buckets, isn't it? So- A hundred percent. Yeah. And then one of the biggest- that, that's okay. One of the biggest um, probably biases in um, financial planning is the confirmation bias. So what that means is people favour information that confirms their belief. So oh, yeah. they're trying to look for news articles that confirms what they already believe to know is true. It what doesn't actually... That's exactly right. So they don't actually know it's going to happen, but they don't read all the evidence because they yeah. want this to be true because that's what they know is sound. So that can lead yeah. to unnecessary losses or unnecessary risks. So it's really important that we know what these things are. And it's really important as advisors to kind of pinpoint these with clients. It's very hard to have a a conversation with a client that's making irrational decisions based on emotions but if we can put it down into maybe why they're making these irrational decisions it's yep. not a direct attack on their personal being it's just yeah look we've seen this before this may be um why you're looking at it from this this angle point of view yeah well even i would i would imagine all of those behaviors you just mentioned also apply to us as advisors, don't it? doesn't it? And oh, how 100%. we work with our clients because um, we've we've all got beliefs um, and we, we're all on a on a path with those beliefs. So we've got to continue to be open and and look at different ways of doing things. Um, is, is there anything else you'd love to touch on? I know we haven't really touched on what specifically is a growth asset and an income asset and what makes up that risk. Um, do you want to just maybe briefly touch on, on that? Yeah, sure. So I like to look at a growth asset as it's an asset that is at its pure aim is in, to increase your investment value over time, whereas an income is a fund that aims for a steady stream of income. When we yeah. invest in an investment property, we know it's got an income proportion and we know hopefully it will have a capital growth proportion at some point. Yeah. So, so the income very... proportion is the rent, obviously, yeah. Yeah. And then the growth is when you sell it and you hopefully have a capital gain. Yeah. Um, funds have exactly the same, same kind of parameters. They have an income proportion and they have a growth. The ones that are more geared to growth may have a higher or all growth kind of strategy and some have a combination strategy and some have all income. What you will see, though, especially in this market, if you've got a solid income strategy, you might have a negative growth or a negative overall return. So the funds paying you out income every month to meet your $42,000 objective, to meet your lifestyle needs, but your capital might be going down over time because it's a negative growth. So what we want to ensure as advisors, if we're offsetting that negative growth um, with a growth fund that is topping up that growth and securing your um, capital over time. So you, 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 as an investor, you want to really have a core satellite approach. You really want to have diversification across most um, sectors 
and fund managers because all fund managers do have a different approach. They make different buying and selling decisions. So when you're looking at growth and income funds, you might have two different fund managers. Some of them might hold the same stocks and that's okay. But we want to we ensure that you're not overweight in certain industries and yeah. in certain sectors to make sure we're managing that risk. So when you mention the core satellite, you're really meaning that you'll have one big fund in, in the middle, if you like, and then you might have to sprinkle some smaller funds around the outside yeah. of it. Yeah. Absolutely. And you might have funds that are index funds and you might have funds that are active funds. So a lot of people like to track the index. So index, if the index goes up, you go up. If the index goes down, you go down. So very basic. Whereas an active yeah. fund is tracking um, how we're going to outperform this index, how are we going to do better. So when I look at core satellite, we want to track the index with some of our approach, but we also want to outperform in some areas, especially if there is that negative growth aspect, which we've yeah. seen due to COVID and so forth in this low yield environment. Awesome. Well, anything you'd like to just leave the listeners with as a final piece of inspiration, Sash? I guess... Um, before you make any investment decisions, talk to someone. Um, sometimes we think we have all the answers and I don't even have all the answers. I mean, things change so quickly in this industry and in funds and in markets yeah. and it changes on a daily basis. So my advice is to speak to someone because two heads are always better than one. Yeah, and I think what I've heard you say today is it's so important to have that foundation of what are you why are you wanting to invest what's the mm -hmm. purpose for the money and that's a that is a real really strong compass isn't it for for when those do those um, emotions do come that yeah. you can go back to that and say oh, well i've invested it for this reason so it's okay absolutely and that's really important with the goals base making sure you're investing to reach your goals not just because you think you should yeah awesome thank you for coming along and sharing all those great insights as i say you do an amazing job um, with your clients i know um, and i just because we're such good mates i, I would definitely want to get you back on to share your wisdom on on other topics too so thanks, Tim. Thanks a lot, Sam. See you later. Pleasure. Bye. If you're looking for a community of like-minded people who are going on a journey similar to you, then I invite you to join the Grass is Greener Facebook group where you can connect, share and learn from other people just like you. So wasn't that a great chat with Sash? She's very knowledgeable and she's done uh, some great study recently in uh, behavioural finance. What I really want to stress here is there is no right or wrong. It's, it's about you as an individual. Um, but what the chat with Sasha does is it helps give a framework on some of the aspects that you really should consider as a fundamental um, plan. One of the key things is time. So if, if you've got, if you need to 
spend that money in the next few years, you, know, you need to make sure that those funds are there for that specific purpose. It limits your ability to take risk if you can't easily replace that money. So if you've got a longer term goal, let's use super as an example, as Sasha did, allows you to take a little bit more risk because there's going to be lots of ups and downs for a lot of us. We can't even touch our super for a long time. So, you know, the we've got the ability to let it ride and, and rebound up and down through those peaks and troughs. So the time horizon is a big one. But the personality aspect is also really important. And you got, as Sasha said, you've got to be able to sleep at night. So even as a starting point, um, think about like your super fund. If you've got money in super um, and you don't have a financial advisor, you know, understand what is their menu. They, they All super funds now map that out really well for you visually to show you where you are on the risk scale. If you, if you haven't made a choice with them, they will have put you in a default one that is probably more on the risky side than, than halfway. So great thing to be aware of and make a deliberate choice. Can't stress that enough. If you make a choice that is, is right to your needs and your personality, you will have gone a long way to getting this right. And of course, if you're looking for help with a bigger plan, so not just your super, but, you know, you've got different goals that you're after. So Sasha mentioned education. Uh, you might just have, have a want to invest for your kids uh, or for longer term um, things like holidays or, or big trips. They all require a different viewpoint. That's why I, I love Sasha's buckets that she talked about. And we also chatted a few weeks about in our financial planning episode when we talked about the game changer modules that we have at Aspire Planning. That's exactly what it is. It's having these different modules and a different investment approach for each of the goals because they've all got different um, time horizons and needs. And if you can structure that right portfolio that works for you and works in harmony with what you're trying to achieve, can be really powerful. So, by all means, if you really want assistance with that, reach out to us at Aspire Planning. We'd be we'd love to um, meet you as a new client. If you're in the Sydney area, I couldn't recommend an advisor more than Sasha Burkhart. The information in this podcast is of a general nature and does not take into account your own financial objectives, circumstances and needs. You should consider your own personal situation and requirements before making any decision. If you have any concerns or questions, please contact me. That's the end of another show. Remember, the grass isn't greener on the other side. It's greener where you water it. See you later.